Howdy, this is Max Baird Jr., Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies, and you're listening to Mike Tamano. Hot dog! The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Mike Tomato Happening. This is our 13th episode. We've got a great one for you today, and a very interesting gentleman joins us for a chat. I want to thank you all for the great response to last week's visit with Lothar Keller, and I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends, subscribe, spread the word. Lothar's a great guy and a very inspiring artist. I really enjoyed our conversation, and evidently, so did you, so thank you very much. Been uh, getting ready for Halloween season to kick in as we see the end of September, the end of summer, the coming of fall, the autumn season, which I I love. I mean, I'm always sad to see summer go, and I always dread the arrival of winter, but I do relish the fall and delve right into it, whether it's uh, being in the woods, enjoying it, or enjoying Halloween and all the festivities that surround that great day. So I've been uh, traveling down a few rabbit holes musically. I've been vibing on a couple of heavy bands that I haven't got around to giving proper listens to. Mastodon and Neurosis are the two bands that I've been kind of listening to a lot of this week. Maybe it's something about Halloween and its kinship with heavy metal. But around this time every year, I go through cycles of what I listen to and heavy metal seems to be popped into the CD player or the turntable around this time of year. So I've been listening to my beloved Sepultura CDs and King Diamond and Merciful Fate. And yeah, I'm late to the party on most of these bands. I've heard both Mastodon and Neurosis in the past, but only in a cursory manner. After Lothar's interview, I started checking out, you know, his music more and wandering Spotify and other streaming services. And I tend to find you know, bands that resemble an, a specific subgenre, and then before you know it, you've spent a couple of days delving into new bands, checking out uh, YouTube interviews and concert footage and whatnot. And uh, I'm also trying to get, I'm, I'm trying again to get into Tool. I know, I, I'm so far behind the times. I understand that. I've tried and tried to listen to this band because I do like their sound, I love their musicianship, it's extraordinary. And Danny Carey is a very special drummer. And Maynard's an interesting cat as well, but their music never really like pulled me in. So now I'm going back to their music and I'm listening to it and reading the lyrics. So maybe I'll become a Tool fan. These are important things to a 54-year-old man. I turned 54 last week. Wow. That went by quickly. So I've been revisiting... Uh, who else have I been listening to? Oh, I've been revisiting the work of Max Roach recently on another side of the musical spectrum max one of the great innovative jazz drummers i remember i received a copy of his classic drums unlimited album as a teenager and i was so inspired by the way that he was melodically approaching the drum set what else have i been vibing on oh i I watched a terrific film only lovers left alive it's jim jarmusch's 2013 vampire romance very cool movie 
I loved it. The dim lighting, the wonderful cast, the soundtrack was outstanding. Really a good flick. It's subtle, but, you know, it's something for Halloween that's uh, worthwhile. I can recommend it. And as October comes, we'll be uh, definitely getting into much Halloween fun, both with guests and uh, conversational topics. It's more than just a day on the calendar around here. It's, It's like a life philosophy for me. We're going to talk about the Marx Brothers. I guess I came upon the Marx Brothers with the advent of the VCR. I might have caught snippets of a few of their films on television in my youth, but they never seemed to get the the play that movies from Abbott and Costello or Jerry Lewis did on network television around Chicago. So I was probably in my teens when I truly got into the world of Groucho, Harpo, and Chico, and uh, yes, the occasional Zeppo. For a while during my stint at Second City's Children's Theater in the late 80s, I was completely obsessed with the Marx Brothers, mostly Groucho and Harpo, but I still always dug Chico. Groucho to me was and still is the consummate comedian. I think it was Woody Allen who described him as such and, you know, pointed out that he he talks funny, he walks funny, he looks funny. Everything about him is funny. And I I had the same reverence for Harpo as well. The early films especially contained a sort of mischievousness that was coupled with intelligence. It went beyond slapstick. They made statements as the comedians of the silent age were apt to do. And the Marx Brothers were really anti-establishment in a mixture of satire, anarchy, music, and mayhem, and it influenced pretty much everyone who came after them, from Monty Python to National Lampoon and Saturday Night Live. They remained the Mount Rushmore of humor. Harpo was this uh, mischievous angel inviting us into this surreal world of chaos and anarchy. Chico, the lovable, scheming goofball, And, of course, his uh, jolly piano playing was always a showstopper. And Groucho, the fearless leader of the troupe, a wisecracking miscreant, hell-bent on disruption of any scenario that he entered, and the thorn in the side of the elite, poking holes in pomposity and elegance at every single turn. So one of the most often quoted comedians in history Groucho Marx some of my favorites those are my principles and if you don't like them well I have others time flies like an arrow fruit flies like a banana I never forget a face but in your case I'll be glad to make an exception so today we're going to talk about the Marx Brothers with someone who has lived inside the role of Groucho Marx for almost four decades Frank Ferrante is our guest today on the Mike Tomano Happening Today, my guest is Frank Ferrante. He's an actor whose obsession with Groucho Marx found him living in his skin, figuratively. And Frank is currently performing in Teatro Zanzani at the Cambria Hotel in Chicago through the end of the year. And he will be donning the uh, Groucho persona for his very special performance right around Halloween, which is perfect. 1987 New York Theater World Award winner for Outstanding New Talent, 1987 New York Outer Critics Circle nomination. Uh, the 1987 Lawrence Olivier Award nomination. He won the award for the 1992 Connecticut Critics Circle. And uh, that was both in uh, 92 and 99. And 1999 had him win the Helen Hayes Award nomination, Best Actor in a Musical. So uh, a world of theater, as we've been talking about earlier on the program. Frank, welcome to the program. Thanks for being uh, with us. I, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much. You know, um, knowing actors and knowing what you've done, 
there's a reference point to the Mark Twain, Hal Holbrook, uh, you know, he legendary performances. And you've often had people say that your historic performance of Groucho Marx uh, is right up there with that. And I want to go back to your beginnings. Um, well, first of all, tell us about Teatro Zanzani, which is a really unique theatrical experience. And then we'll get into your background. Sure. Well, in in a way, it relates to all that came before, Mike. Uh, it's a, in a way, it's a vaudeville. It's a burlesque, and it's very much of the of the tradition that I admired as a boy. Uh, growing up, uh, I loved those comedians, the great comedians, the great variety performers of that era of the nineteen teens and twenties and thirties. And Teatro Zanzani is about as close to vaudeville as one can get. It's a very elegant vaudeville. And it all takes place uh, within a hundred-year-old tent from Belgium, a Spiegel tent. And um, there are acts from all over the world. I've done this show, Mike, for 20 years in in Seattle and San Francisco. And I opened the venue in Chicago two years ago, and and uh, was uh, am the first we're the first cast to reopen the Chicago Theater District, we, which we did in July 8th uh, during this pandemic. Mm. Uh, but to get back to the show, it's a wild, insanely uh, lavish spectacle and I'm the host and I play this Latin lover character very interactive very um, very much in the uh, brash vaudeville tradition Groucho like in that I do a lot of improv and yeah. there, are acts, there are acts that are aerialists contortionists singers I've worked with Joan Baez in this show and Sally Kellerman and Lillian Montevecchi the great Tony Award Broadway star so there's, wow. it's, a, it's a three hour sh- immersive show in this stunning tent that is uh, velvety fabric and hand carved wood, uh, there's a there's a live band and there's this, it's and it, it, there are also meals courses from the Debbie Sharp, who's a legend in, in the culinary world in Chicago. So it is really, it's a bit of a fantasy, Mike. I've always wanted, from the time I was reading about the Marx Brothers, yeah, uh, I was reading about vaudeville and this kind of humor. So I become one of these vaudevillians, and so. It's a perfect fit for me. Uh, so I love it, and it's a joyous thing. And right now, as you can imagine, audiences are really happy to be laughing. Yeah, getting out <laughs> and enjoying live theater. Well, you know, when you talk about it having an improvisational nature about it and having guests come like Joan Baez and Sally Kellerman, talk about the format of this program. How do you put something like this together to where you have set pieces, I'm guessing, and then you also allow the performers a lot of room to breathe and, and create on the spot? Well, that's it's it's a great question. This is a, this is a role, and I have three different acts, three sets uh, that are arced throughout the evening, and they literally grew out of improvisation. I didn't re- really have much in the, the way of writing. I had point to point action, and I bring people into my act, and I bring sometimes eight, you know, participants, volunteers from the audience into my act. So it's different every every single performance. Yeah. So that's been breathing, as you say, and evolving over, I don't know, about 2,000 performances. And wow. um, so that's, and then there, those three sets that I have are, are, are basically the anchor, I believe, of the show. And then there's, there, then there are these brilliant acts that are, that are woven, you know, throughout and arced, uh, you know, how it is. It's like, and you, you have, you'll have a beauty act, an aerial act, and then you'll follow it with a brash comic act like mine yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, a yeah. power act you know a foot juggler or you know something so it really is all a show like this mike is all about uh 
the order of events. It's about the arcing. It's about the show, show order. And of course, the caliber of talent. And you know, in this particular run that I'm doing Chicago and into early January, um, there's the people from there's some people from Ukraine, uh, from uh, from Paris, France, uh, from Canada. I mean, we have it's an international cast, and a lot of Chicagoans as well are involved in as well. I'm and I'm I'm based in Los Angeles, was where I grew up in Pasadena. So how do you so, how do you how do you put a show like this together, Frank? Uh, it's been well, a lot of us have done this form before yeah so uh it's just like any it's it, i guess mike would be like any any show any musical or play you know we have sometimes 10 days sometimes two weeks to put this together there's there's a director of the show we all come to the table with our own acts and, and our writing you know a lot of the a lot of the performers have self-contained acts whether it's a an aerialist or a hula hoop artist or a juggler or a singer a singer will pick uh, the songs generally that will fit a, a theme that we may yeah. be trying to put across. Um, I I try to update my material depending on where I am and uh, in, in you know in history you know it's just you know right now you have to be very careful of of, of kind of humor you do and yeah and yet you still want to be kind of uh, kind of still want to honor what you do best and. And be you know so that's a whole that's a whole you know that's a whole comedians today have it uh, it's a real challenge for comedians and comics and <laughs> yeah you can imagine yes and, uh, you know and uh, you know in terms of people being canceled and you know I just you know the, I just the loss of uh, Norm Macdonald reminds me of someone there was someone who was fully committed to their style yeah and fearless often if, absolutely fearless yeah. and there's the word that comes to mind when I think of Chiatu Zanzani it's an exhilarating like anything that involves improv or death-defying acts, you know, I can die figuratively as, as a comedian, Mike, uh, because I'm I'm putting my neck out there, and um, I walk that line. I and but there are literally acts that work without mats in the air. Yeah, if they fall, you know, they break their neck or they or they die. So right. the audience is aware of this, and there's a. And I don't think there's really a show, and I, you know, it sounds like hyperbole, but I don't think there's a show like it on the on the planet quite like this. There are variety shows and tent shows, yeah, like in in Europe, and there's one in Vegas, uh, but nothing that also has the the elegance that this show has. It's a, it's classy yet brash. It's it's lowbrow and highbrow. Yeah, uh, it's so uh, it's 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 a joy to do. Lucky to have it. The reviews are stunning, and people are loving it. And and like you said, I think people are looking for something that's spectacular and 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 by that i don't mean you know bombastic or 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 special effects movies i think they're looking for something that has a cheerful slightly vulgarian uh fearless approach and i think that's perfect uh, you know and i think that when you hit the stage each night you have to have that fearlessness we're talking about norm mcdonald passing away he was a guy who cared so much that he didn't care yeah, if that makes sense. I mean, he absolutely he wasn't going to let anything get in the way of him being funny. No, he jumped off the cliff every time. I yeah. feel like I relate to it. Anyone who does stand up or, yes. or interactive performance understands where Mr. McDonald was coming from. Uh, but I don't think anyone did it better than it. it's so interesting. So many of us, how many millions of us, perhaps, would go down the Norm McDonald rabbit hole and on YouTube and just oh. look at his interviews. Yeah. And he's exhilarating. Yeah. That's what you want to do with an audience. I try to do that. I certainly don't have the original mind that someone like a Norm Macdonald has. I have a, a, my own original kind of concoction within the show. But someone like Norm Macdonald is really 
you know, that's in the one per, you know point zero one percentile of yes. brilliant, comic yeah. brilliance, absolute brilliance. No yeah. one like him. But yeah. you know that's a that's a gift. And people to get back to the audiences and getting out there and being fearless. The audience also wants to have this vicarious experience of being fearless. And right now, Mike, it's a it's a catharsis for audiences. People mm-hmm. have been holed up for a year and a half, two years, of yeah. all ages, and so. Here they get to play, here they get to let go, here they get to celebrate, uh, be amongst others, you know, feel like part of a community again. But boy, uh, laughter is gigantic. It, it's mm. always take, it takes a lot to make me laugh. And uh, so it's a precious commodity. I, yeah. I, you know, I really, yeah, amen. You know, I know I'm, it's not obvious. I'm speaking the obvious, but as I get older, the more, the more aware of, of how it is a healing agent. Absolutely. Know, Absolutely. And today, uh, you know, people want to escape the news. They want to escape the division in the country and they just want to get back to being entertained and being humans with each other, you know? And, I, uh, yeah. So I want to go back to your childhood. Your parents were from well, Italy, correct? Well, no, they were, the, they were, their, their parents were from Italy. They're oh, their the, parents were, okay. They're the offspring of uh, Italian uh, immigrants. Okay. Uh, so there was a lot of that in play. Uh, and I grew up with a, an Italian tradition in terms of food and and rituals and the holidays hmm. and uh, the, the closeness and the gatherings. Yeah, um, as did I. And, and it seems yeah. like Italian families, everybody has a bit of performer in them, especially at the family <laughs> gatherings. Doesn't it seem that way? Oh, God, there's always one. There's yeah. always one, too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was that one sometimes, you know, the, and I'd be making some wisecrack and making sure that the, uh, the grownups weren't listening. And sometimes they'd catch it and I'd get that. Yeah. Steely glance from one of one of the one of the great aunts who didn't yeah. know what the hell I was talking about. Right. But, but well, there were nine of us first cousins, Mike, and we were like brothers and sister. Yeah. Eight guys, eight eight boys, one girl, and we were like you know we were a very close family. Eight and Italian had, guys and one girl in the cousinhood, and so uh, I'm guessing she did not have an easy time dating. Oh gosh, I, I you know <laughs> that's a great point. You know what? She was the one that laughed at all my jokes, though. I have to say, thank God she was. Thank God she was there because she. She would laugh at all my little little, little side of the mouth remarks. And right, her, mom right. would, her mom would barge in my aunt and she'd go, what's going on? You know, like laughter was not something you were supposed to do at the dinner table right. back then. This is 50 years ago, probably. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but uh, she, uh, you know, she was like my first audience, my cousin, Kath, Kathy, Catherine, and, and I'm grateful to her, but you know, you know, yeah. You know, Catholic Italians. That's oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely. We like, so you're a kid and you're growing up and you like making people laugh and you like making wisecracks. So what were you watching? What were you experiencing that was kind of putting that bug in you that you were going to perform? Well, you know, I had a, I had a neighbor, this guy named Rich Eibler, and he came from like one of the, probably the only Jewish family in the community. And um, his father was a huge Marx Brothers fan. Okay. Which is very much of the tradition yeah. and, um, and not really part of ours. Um and he came over, I was probably nine years old, and said, you've got to put the television set on. I said, okay, there's these guys on it, the four Marx Brothers. The, the Mark, they said the Marx Brothers. Put it on, it was a day at the races. And I, you know, when you're a kid, it seemed, Mike, it seems that they were actually in that box. Oh, yeah. Watching. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That these, I don't know what an actor is or performer is or that there's a real people underneath all the makeup and costumes. And these guys were so, something about them, and I, I speak for, I know, hundreds and hundreds of maybe millions of of young people that discovered them there was something so electric and irreverent and juvenile and and sophisticated all at once and 
and brave again fearless in and i i didn't know i didn't know this at the time because i'm nine or ten but all i know is that i felt like lightning had struck mm. i want to i want to be like these guys because right. they looked like they were having so much fun it seemed joyful and gleeful and um you know they were physical and verbal and just a uh, just a switch flipped with me mike and i went i started making sure i saw as many of those films as i could as a kid you know pre internet pre vhs mm -hmm. pre beta and you know i went to the library and and started reading about the marx brothers which expanded into a uh, really into a, a study of all comedy uh from the those vintage years of the 20s and 30s to the present which at the time was the 70s Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, yes, you know, Monty Python, Sellis, yeah, Monty Python. So I realized there were they were there was a tradition here. They were related all of these, all of these insane people that I loved. Yeah, and I just became obsessed and fascinated. And you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. The world seemed strange. I didn't want to be an accountant. I wanted to, you know, I just noticed that there was a lot of madness around. And I thought, how am I going to fit into this? You know, I don't trust the world. I don't know. You know, I don't know what I so. I finally decided this is what I'm going to do. I, and I, early on, I was doing plays, you know, in in high school and in college, and and eventually studied theater at the University of Southern California. And I put on a one man show as a senior project at USC on Groucho Marx. And I invited Groucho Marx's son Arthur Marx to attend. This is 1985. I'm 22 years old, and Arthur showed up. Wow, and uh, and he was a he was a writer. He had a show about his father that had been tooling around with Gabe Kaplan, and uh, Arthur. After that performance at USC, uh, Arthur said, "If I ever do a show about my father, I'd like to use you." Well, lo and behold, I graduated within months. I was in Kansas City with this show called Groucho: A Life in Review, in which I played Groucho from age fifteen to eighty-five, and that show then went to New York off Broadway and then to London. And, Really, I was 22, 23, 24 when all this was happening. So from the small town in Sierra Madre, you know, I went to New York City. It was a big deal uh, for me. Yeah. And uh, changed my life. So, you know, you know I digress a bit there. But. Well, but, but seeing you perform as Groucho and then seeing Gabe Kaplan, Gabe Kaplan's portrayal of Groucho seemed to me to be an homage. You knew it was Gabe. With you, you kind of disappear into Groucho. Well, that was the goal, really, Mike. Thanks for saying that. Uh, no, I, I appreciate. Uh, what, listen, if Kaplan didn't start that show, uh, I never would have gone to New York or London because that was the premise. That was basically the show we took to New York. It was rewritten and expanded. And that was because I was not a name. I could get lost in it. People could see the character. Mm -hmm. And I was a 23-year-old off-Broadway in 86, 87, 35 years ago. Uh, playing an 85-year-old dying Jewish comedian, which was a real, you know, became a bit of a tour de force in the eyes of many. I mean, how many 23-year-olds are pulling that off? And, right. And, and we were, I was in New York for about a year. And that was, uh, it was at a time of my life. And I got to meet a lot of really interesting people. And I got good at it. You know, it took me about 200 performances, Mike. And you may understand this before I was going, oh, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. This is in me. This is in my skin. Well, yeah, and and so the more you learned about um, Groucho, I mean, obviously the at the start it had to be an imitation of him. I mean that you weren't that entrenched, and then you start doing this play. Was there a point, Frank, where if you would read or learn something new about Groucho or a new revelation, that it would kind of creep its way into your performance? Absolutely, I had the uh, real privilege of knowing, as I mentioned 
his son. So I got two sides. Mm. You know, I got Groucho the father, and they weren't always flattering takes uh, that Arthur would share with me. And Arthur and I were friends for almost 30 years. We passed away about 10 years ago, and I loved him. Mm. And then Groucho Marx's daughter, Miriam, was also a very close friend of mine. I mean, I, we were family. It, be, it was a really, it's hard to really, I should write about it one day. It was hard to describe how intimate my connection was with these two people who didn't get along with each other particularly. But when they would call me and they didn't know it, their calls would be back to back literally within a minute. There was just something energetically, if you buy that, that was going on. But the point was, uh, uh, Miriam, would, you know, she had these beautiful letters that her father wrote her. And you saw Groucho as a human being, his complexity. Mm -hmm. And as I got, you know, as a boy at 23, 22, 23, I knew more about Groucho than I knew about myself. Right. I'm now, I'm now 58 years old and have lived a life that's had many ups and downs, uh, you know, on every level. And I've been a survivor, uh, Mike. I have kept going for, this is my about 35, 36 years of doing this mm. straight until the pandemic but you know I, I i think that the work gets richer and i'm able to you know bring my own life experience and skill and years of doing it to the table yeah but when you're 22 23 there was something just pure about what i was doing mm -hmm. uh and and it somehow it worked it, but to answer your question yes little things even from groucho's daughter-in-law lois saying i love the way you hold your hand you move your hands as 85 year old groucho mm. how you use your middle finger to point or you know little subtle things and then i would keep them and they would reinforce what i was doing but uh, everything from the physicality to the spiritual approach uh it, it continues to be in you know worked on and yeah. finessed. i still try to finesse it and for me you know a lot of a lot of people don't know who he is so my job is to make him make it work whether the audience knows him or not and let's say 90 percent of the audience doesn't know who he is the show needs the work the performance needs the work whether they know him yeah or not and so that's the way i, I for me it's the show is like a it was like sheer it's a matter of sheer will and mm -hmm. sweat and joy and well, um portraying a real person presents a lot of challenges i mean you have to you know if, if someone gives you a script and it's a fictional character the director is looking for you to kind of bring something and flesh it out portraying a real person you kind of have to do that process backwards and kind of take in everything about them the nuances how they point how they hold their hand as an 80 year old mm -hmm. that's a real challenge yeah so what i've done with the current show that i tour with an evening with groucho i uh you know a third of it is improvised so the the groucho the groucho persona almost becomes i won't say incidental but it's the improv the actual interaction that becomes what's exhilarating and moving to an audience of you know you're playing to kids i'm playing to all ages it's really the time when i when i drop the script and not i'm not singing i'm not singing a song like dr hackabush when i'm just uh bantering with the audience that's when it scores yeah. uh, m most and i've learned that that's what keeps the show fresh and current i'm not a big fan of of tribute shows i loved i studied them when i was developing the show back in my college years and one of the first shows I saw, is, and you referenced it, was Hal Holbrook and Mark Twain Tonight. And Hal and I became good friends in the last six, seven years of his life, um, and which was remarkable. I was at his 95th birthday a year ago. Wow. Of course, he passed away this past year. Yeah. And, and he was always uh, saying, you know, you're, you know, you're my logical successor, and make sure you do that show every year, as many years as you can. And 
he did his for 62 straight years. Never wow. missed a year of performing at least once during the course of a year. So we could say, I've done the show for 62 straight it's years. It's still alive, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's amazing. So he's someone that got, but again, no one knew what Mark Twain was really like. And so he had some, you know, it's tricky because not everyone, you know, I, I've had nothing, I've had mostly wonderful feedback, but not when you, it's tougher to do someone, like you say, that's existed because mm-hmm. everyone's going to have a take on it. Right. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate that mostly it's been, uh, beloved and accepted, but there's always going to be people that go, nah, it's not my, it's, you know, it's not Groucho. Well, of course it's not. There's only one mm. Groucho. And if you want to see him, please go, you should see duck soup, watch you bet mm-hmm. your life and reruns. Uh, I'm, I'm interpreting, I'm filtering, uh, my, it's, it's a bit of a, fa- my fantasy of Groucho, what I'm doing. It's a Fantasia. Really. Yeah. As yeah. if he's there now with yeah. the audience, you know, it's funny. You mentioned you bet your life. I, I found Groucho on re I mean, obviously I knew who the Marx brothers was as a young kid, uh-huh. but their stuff in Chicago didn't rerun as much as Abbott and Costello really? or yeah. It, you know, there were the Stooges around all the time, yeah. but, um, I found him first through You Bet Your Life and how quick he was there. And then subsequently with the advent of VCRs and uh, uh-huh. VHS tapes, I, I watched all the films, read all, and then I became obsessed. They're the kind of, they're like a rock band. You get obsessed with the Marx <laughs> Brothers. And when you talked about the lovely letters that he wrote his daughter, I the Groucho letters show there mm-hmm. were so many sides to this guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, later on in his life, he really he really liked show business people like he became friends with alice cooper you know mm-hmm. there, there, there's some some interesting things there so when you're getting ready to do this you've done it for years um this groucho marx is part of who you are and how do you prepare to go on stage as groucho is there is there a ritual you go through or is it just okay i'm putting on groucho now and i'm going out there and doing them you know i don't know how conscious i i am of, of my ritual but you know i do the same I do have a ritual. I do the same things every every time for 35 years, 3,000 performances. Basically, yeah. I get there early, and um, you know, if I'm doing one-nighters around the country or through, you know, I did a couple Australian tours in Canada, Canada, and but the same thing. But mostly, I do one-nighters, some sit-downs in regional theaters, and um, but I get there early, and I, I vocalize, I stretch, uh, I set up my dressing room, I put out that makeup. Uh, I can't make, hang out my costumes. I, I, I really do the technical aspects as Hal Holbrook did as well. He made sure the lights were set the way they should be set. I do the, t- the two and a half hour tech rehearsal and I deal with sound and I deal with making sure the furniture, the set pieces are where they're supposed to be. Uh, so there's a whole thing. There's a whole to do there. I get yeah. in. If I'm, if I'm playing Philadelphia for one night, I'll get in the night before, check in a hotel. Next day, I'll get there, let you know, around noon or noon between noon and two or so let's say two o'clock or an eight o'clock show and then for four hours i'll be there setting up the show yeah and and prepping do the and take a break have dinner do the eight o'clock show afterward have a drink go to bed leave yes fly back home that's it so i've had a touring touring life a really pretty at times fragmented life um uh, in terms of my my touring, I, yeah. if I ever write a memoir, it's going to be called "Played It" because I've played so many. You've pounds. been there, but yeah, you know. <laughs> right. but, but and you've done some television work and film acting as well as you know voicing mm-hmm. characters. Is that more of just um, those are opportunities that pop up? I mean, it seems your main pursuit, obviously, and your love and your passion is live theater. I love live theater, and um, yes, always, always. Um, but you know, because of doing the the an evening with Groucho or 
playing the Caesar character that I play in Teatro Zanzani. Uh, a lot of people have seen me and uh, who are in in the in the industry in the show business and. I've gotten I've gotten work on television because people have seen me. I've never auditioned for anything, mm-hmm. but I, I was able to get a, just a few fun uh, voice animation jobs from friends, people who you know admired what I what I've done. Uh, I did a funny turn on uh, Rob Corddry's show, Children's Hospital. I played mm-hmm. a, a talking mime, uh, but that was an Emmy Award winning <laughs> show. That's right. a great. It's very it's very Mel Brooksy in that show. For anyone who hasn't seen it, Children's Hospital. I think it's ran for six or seven, maybe more seasons than that but uh, i loved it but yeah so to answer your question you know and i also i don't just do the groucho and the variety show but but i i'm you know i have the opportunity to direct musicals and plays mostly yeah. in philadelphia at the walnut street theater which is the oldest continuously running theater in the in the world it's a 200 plus year old theater and you know i've done shows uh, musicals like funny thing happened in the way of the forum and, yeah and i've done it uh, some farces there and neil simon comedies and I've been able to um, direct original work in their smaller space. So I'm a, I'm a man of the theater. I'm lucky, Mike, to have the one-man show, which has been a constant and a through line. I'm lucky, fortunate to have Teatro Zanzani, which I have done basically several months a year for 20 years. Mm. Uh, and they fuel each other, you know, so, and both have improv components and directing, as you know, you have to be good on your feet. So that, so it all fuels, uh, it's been, it, I'm always I'm pretty oiled up because I've had a, a lot of at bats and uh, as a director and someone who's performed a lot of improv theater and yeah you know they 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 do they do help each other it does help to have your hands fingers on a, a lot of different things and directing and acting in the same situation that's yeah. something you've really got to be on your toes because you got to not only be uh, in tune with what you're doing but then kind of peripherally watching as everything else is going on. Yeah, that's a tricky task, as you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not the easiest thing to do, and I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I've had opportunities. Like, I directed myself in Funny Thing Happened to the Forum as Pseudolist, which is a big musical, 20-something person musical. Right. And, uh, you know, you that's when, you know, your taste comes into play, you know, hiring the, you know, engaging the best choreographers, performers, designers, and and hopefully a team that you may have worked with in the past, so there's some shorthand. But uh, yeah, I've been in that situation a, a few times, and it's not not a piece. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. The crux of this show is creative lives and mm-hmm. staying creative, and we pick the brains of people like you to uh, help us help others stay creative. And if someone is pursuing life in the arts, especially in the theater, it is really a difficult gig. Uh, and you can't let things get you down. So what advice do you have for uh, new actors or actresses? Well, I would say, uh, you know, as, as uh, the great comedian Milton Berle once said to me, would, it was he said to me, do everything. And I thought at the time, it doesn't seem very discerning, but I know what he, what he meant. It's like, say yes more than no. Mm-hmm. Say yes to opportunities, even if they don't seem like they're life, particularly life-changing because they always lead to something else. Right. I did a 99-seat theater show in LA and it led to a directing career just because someone remembered me from something else a lot of it's these relationships and collaborate theater is a collaborative art right and and I think it's important to gravitate to to others who are like-minded or at least have similar interests or doing getting things done so much of it I've just had to generate constantly Mike and that's what I would say to anyone who's younger or not younger who's interested in the arts you have to 
and it goes against my grain. I'm, I, I think I'm essentially an introverted person, as, you know, and um, I've had to sell myself or, and get out there, mm-hmm. uh, and it, even though it's uncomfortable. And I think the more you do it, the less uncomfortable you'll be. You may always have some discomfort uh, getting out there and putting yourself you know, forth in front of people. Uh, I think you have to become your own, in a way, agent and publicist and marketing person. And um, there's a yes. lot that I that I've done. Uh, I you know when I do my one man show, I book the flights, I make sure that there's the internal travel. I mean, I picked up other skills. I became really good at publicizing and writing copy and bios and descriptions of the show mm-hmm. and writing and got good at at the time letters, but then emails. Um, I, but a lot of I, but I've been most successful though, Mike, when literally dropping off a note to someone, you know, literally handwriting a note and getting it to someone. Uh, I think that kind of that that's, I think that's still an effective way to meet people that maybe could be helpful. Mm. I also would say talk to people who are doing what you want to do, and um, those who are doing it and love doing it. And uh, yeah. I, I think people are open, artists, actors, anyone in the arts is open to having discussions about ooh, how, they, how they're doing it. And, you know, it keeps changing. I think you have to be someone who's willing to take some hits like we all do in life, not just performing artists and artists, but uh, be able to roll and to be uh, flexible. Uh, it is hard and it can be depressing. And this last couple of years for many of almost all my colleagues, myself has been miserable at times and heartbreaking but you know some of us this is all we can it's all we want to do it's what mm-hmm. we are about i know that's who i am i've never i've been fortunate to be able to sometimes thrive sometimes squeak by um it's never you know what you see on social media is is a facade you know the successes that we all have that no one ever gets to see right the the rehearsal and the sweat and the anxiety and the practice and practice and practice it takes to be, to, to, you know, to, to, to succeed or to, to create in a way that might be satisfying. Yeah, it's uh, golden. Golden. You, you're speaking gold for people. And it's funny you mentioned um, a couple of things that I gleaned from what you said. Say yes. Stay out there. That's important. When I was at Second City, I didn't get every audition, but I didn't care if I had to paint the sets or play drums in the pit or right. or tear tickets. I was yeah. there, and inevitably it will lead to networking with other people and uh, saying yes and, and, and being flexible. And then, you, you know, it's funny when I asked you that question, we didn't talk about chops because we're going to assume that if you're in a particular performing art, you've you've practiced your guitar or you've learned how to Mm -hmm. sing or you took the acting class and but you were talking about how to communicate with people how to write bios Mm -hmm. and it's funny that you brought that up because i tell my i I teach music and i tell kids Mm -hmm. when you have someone you admire look at their website and look mm-hmm. at how they present themselves because I don't mm-hmm. care. You're not there to copy them. You're going to become your own person. But if you want to emulate anything, emulate how successful people present themselves. That, that's funny that you echoed that sentiment to me. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Let's talk about Teatro Zanzani, which uh, is running now through the end of the year. And how can people uh, get to see that? Where do they, where do they get their tickets? Uh, it's uh, it's pretty simple. It's just uh, there's a website called Zinzani, Z-I-N-Z-A-N-I, 
zenzani.com, zenzani.com, and they can get them right there. And it's it's a show that'll be ongoing. There's a 10-year lease there, Mike, and uh, hopefully it'll it'll run for a while. That it's is right too the, cool. Yeah, it's right in the theater district. And what's really interesting about it for those who love the theater, it's in the same complex, the same building as the Nederlander, formerly the Oriental Theater, is on Randolph Street. Uh, the Cambria Hotel is there. Well, this particular venue, the the tent for for uh, Teatros and Zani, is on the 14th, no, the yeah, 14th, 15th, and 16th floor. Uh, it was discovered. It was a Masonic theater after they removed <laughs> after they removed get this uh, drop ceilings and they saw vestiges of the proscenium arch. The balcony still there. They gutted it. Wow! And then they and they brought in this hundred year old tent from Belgium in three thousand pieces and reassembled it on the 14th, 15th, and 16th floor of the Cambria Hotel, which is part of that, you know, you know, 100-year-old building. Oh, there's some it's mojo a, there. That's Oh, something. such great mojo. So, yeah. So the show is, that's that's part of it. And the tent, the, the, the actual venue really is a character. It feels like a vintage world. It's beautiful with chandeliers and full-length mirrors and, and hand-carved wood, as I mentioned. It's, be, it's a stunning uh, experience and an original in a way. It's like you were saying, you can study the masters. You don't want to copy them. Uh, I always tell the students, study the masters. You want to be a director? Study the films of great directors. You right. want to be a comedian? Study all the comedians. You want to be a great actor? Study the great actors. And then make it your own. Yes. You know, the best compliment I ever got was from Sean Penn, who said, Frank, you got one foot in yesterday and one foot in today, and you make it all your own. That's what I, I I could have retired 14 years ago. Thank you very much. And I said, I don't need to, I don't need to go anywhere. I want to, you know, that was like, uh, you know, the one I, to me, he's the greatest film actor of my generation. It's like, here, I'm this, I'm this comedian jumping around in over couches. And, and that's why I tell that story because I couldn't believe that I was, you know, this is where it could take you though. I never would have thought that I would have crossed paths with someone like that. And, and I got to, you know, I got to, uh, you know, someone like Robin Williams saw me do this Caesar character in Teatro Zanzani, who was a hero of mine, of course. I yeah. grew up watching Mork and Mindy and, of course, watched all his films. And and uh, I did I did one of these improv sets. To me, he's the greatest improv comedian of, our, of oh, my yeah. generation. Amazing. And uh, after I did my set, he came up to me and whispered to me, Frank, Frank, you killed. It's like, <laughs> what? That, that's like, okay, you know what? I can just, I just don't. Don't work again, Frank. Go off and join a monastery and don't get, you know, what happens. But here's the real life situation, Mike. You, you get these wonderful moments, and we all do, and then reality comes back, and there's yes. unemployment, and there's personal difficulties. Yes, yes, like, yes, absolutely. So that's, why I, so that's why I hang on to those little jewel moments. But I guess my um, my point is you just got to keep, you know, I had no idea that, that I was going to come across the kind of, talent that I did but it was just uh, you just can't quit and yeah. uh, it takes us you know a ton of stamina and like you said fearlessness and um, and love of the work you have to love the work because there's going to yeah. be times when you're making something and there's going to be times when you're squeaking by like you said and if, as long as the work still drives you you're going to be fine God, if I, I need to interrupt you because you're saying something that's so dead on we talk about younger people but loving the work and bringing joy to the work is is attractive. Yes, and that's what pulls people in—not just audiences, but uh, your colleagues. Uh, you name it; anyone around you is pulled in by joy. Yeah, and that's that's word is overused. But every time it, before I go on, I can give you this, and that might be useful to someone who's younger. Every right before I go on stage for since the beginning, I always said, Frank, share the joy that you receive when you 
you know, first were when you were younger, when you first saw Groucho Marx, when you first laughed at someone, when you realized, you know, that. So I always say, share the joy. Yeah, and that's what we're supposed to do: share share that joy of what we of what we do. Absolutely. If people go to zinzani.com, that's Z-I-N-Z-A-N-N-I.com, the sizzle reel alone is stunning. Just watching what's going on here just for the commercial part. It's insane. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like a Broadway, it's Broadway caliber. I mean, the costumes, the lighting, the production values, it's hard to describe. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes they have, you know, they have, you know, deals on tickets and there's always, you know, for the younger people who want to go because it's a full four course meal. It's not cheap. Uh, but it's not out of outrageous for what you're getting. Yeah. But you know, you can go on Gold Star. You can find they also you could if for younger people you can go and just see the show for half the price and not have the meal. I mean, so there's all that. It's really if if you're a student of comedy and theater, it's it's uh, it's a lot of education going yeah. on in that show. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, well, so how's your uh, Marx Brothers memorabilia collection? I've got a sizable one, giant. <laughs> You know, I've got letters and hats and and what else do I got? I've got uh, a, a humidor of Grouchos and photos wow. that were Grouchos. And I have a substantial collection. Um, and I love to buy and trade. I have since I was a boy. I love comedy memorabilia. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I I go through periods where I want to have have it all in my in my sights. And sometimes I'm going, why am I doing this? You know, it's like I don't need more stuff. Right. But, uh, do you have a collection? I have a I have a biography collection. I, I uh, love to read about, um, especially kind of the theme we're talking about about keep going and and not giving up. If you read the biographies of W. C. Fields mm-hmm. and especially Buster Keaton, who got destroyed by the studio, mm-hmm. um, and Harold Lloyd, these were these were craftsmen, and the work always came first. And we were talking about the rabbit holes that you go down. Uh-huh. The Marx Brothers, to me, were the best of everything that came before them, and they were going forward with. They were. They had uh-huh. Harpo, who was Chaplin-esque. He had some of the Keaton anarchy with him. And you had Groucho, who had the witticisms of vaudeville. But there was something about them that was counterculture, you know, Absolutely. more so than Laurel and Hardy, more so than uh, even W.C. Fields, who was kind of went against you know the anti he was anti-establishment but the marx brothers were almost like complete anarchy and so i think that like you said that draws you in as a kid going hey these guys are going crazy and this is something i'm interested in i know they were subversive you thought yeah this is their own world and they're letting us in on it yes they they came off more as creatures than than humans yeah and uh they were you know from another planet and that was like thrilling to me i didn't understand it i was trying to figure these guys out yeah i didn't know what i didn't know what vaudeville was or grease paint was or costumes were right you know yet then you had chico who was doing this you know that that bogus italian accent and play and then they were also so musical they were so virtually yeah, well, harpo and chico were virtuosos it was amazing yeah, and, and groucho played guitar but his and his his delivery his dialogue his approach was was musical Mm-hmm. His, he had, he, they have all had these musical rhythms, which, of course, is part of comedy, as you know the, better than the anyone. Rhythm, but, yeah. But yes. he had this such a musical quality to his uh, his repartee, to mm. his m- monologues. And, uh, yeah, they were <laughs> – and the fact that they actually were related is still mind-boggling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, there's always been talk about for, with Marx Brothers fans, and since I have you, I'm going to huh? pick your brain about giraffes huh? on horseback salad. What about it? Well, th- this thing was scrapped, right? I mean, they never even 
yeah, it, came close the, to seeing the light of day. Did it was a Salvador Dali script yeah, for it the was, Marx Brothers? I think it was a tr- basically. A, I don't know if it was even a full script. I can't. I I can't speak to it too much. But I'm friendly with the with the gentleman who put put it in book form and right. expanded it and and uh, I did some vocals for 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 it too. It's there's they made like a a, a, a bit of a Marx Brothers film out of it. They actually yeah. fleshed it out based on Salvador Dali's. Uh, screenplay treatment I think it was partial I don't know if it was a full script ever maybe it was uh, but um, you know I, I think anything that keeps the Marx Brothers like that in the in the public eye that was that got some good press yes in, in the last couple of years and was well received and illustrated and so um yeah you, you can know, get I, that on on Amazon you can get the book yeah, yeah. that's that's Josh Frank uh, yes who, who did that who's a really nice man too and yeah. and uh, in fact, I got to know Josh more this past year during the pandemic. I guess back in April, uh, he, he uh, runs multiple uh, drive-ins, Mike, in Austin, and he said, "Why don't we show your your un your yet to be released uh, film version of An Evening with Groucho?" And I said, "We'll show it at the drive-in." So I went out there for a week, and uh, we did Q and As after. And uh, Josh is a great guy, and he loves the Mark Brothers, loves film. He's a he's a writer. But that that film, by the while we're speaking of, of yeah, Mark I was going to ask you about that. It's coming out uh, next spring, uh, and he, uh, Frank Ferrante's Groucho, which is really the film version of the one man show I've been doing for thirty five years. So this is only thirty five years in the making. That's all. Thirty five years in the making. <laughs> Frank Ferrante's an evening with Groucho, and, and there's never been there's never been a biopic of the. There's Marks never Brothers. been a biopic, and. Uh, Anyway, this may be the closest thing for a while. We'll see. But I can't um, wait. I can't it's wait. Fun. It, it looks great. So I'm just. I'm. That's why I'm. I'm spending my days dealing with. Uh, you know, again, being. Uh, and I'm dealing with music clearances. All these things you never think you're yes. going to do as a performer, and that your that your students will know about, should know about, and young people should. You have. You have to learn how to do these things. I'm learning right now at, at this age how to produce a show for television for PBS. You know, and jumping through all the hoops. Yes. And um, raising the money, which, I, you know, all of it is. That's another thing you never think you have to do. No. Is, oh, <laughs> like, no, that's always the fun part. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Well, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, but you keep going. I, I, so when can we expect to see that? Is there, is there an ETA yeah, on that? There is. Uh, it's spring of 2022. Awesome. Uh, it'll be it, It'll be airing nationally on PBS. And uh, and then eventually it'll, it'll have an international market. i just dealing with the... The distributor today but this has been uh you know a, a project of love it was directed by it's a great it's 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 you know it's so as you know having been in second city and dealing in theater your life it's hard to capture a performance on film yes uh, i and, and still get the same exhilaration it doesn't quite translate uh this was shot and this might interest your listeners uh with uh with not just uh not just cameras but a handheld camera on the stage, which with for an interactive show is like the perfect, the perfect thing to have because the, the handheld camera was following me into the audience and and capturing all the improv. And so it was edited by the same person who directed it for film and stage, Dre Weber, who I've worked with for ten years. And it looks great. It you know, so it's not like it doesn't look like a lot of one person shows look, which is very uh, uh, presentational. Yes, you know, you know one shot. This is really a kind of a very fluid uh, filming of it, which is what it requires uh, when it's this manic. The show is really uh, 
fast paced and wild. So to to capture it was no easy task. No. But anyway, so that's I'm excited about it, Mike. And it's uh, what I'm working on performing at night and working on, <clears throat> sorry, projects like that during the day to keep going. And you know, you know the 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 maybe the only one not a lot of upsides to the pandemic, but one was there was time to edit. There was time. Yeah. To, there was time to put together this film. Yes. Uh, there was time. There's time to like be close to family. To I could be around my mom for long, and my kids, and and uh, that was that was good. There was a lot of. There's a hell of a lot of bad too. A lot of people. Yes. Are, su- are suffering, and you know with and. Uh, but that's your predisposition to finding the joy. You know. Well, that, trying that's to stay, Yeah, trying to to stay active and and yeah. uh, and also you know be there for for loved ones yeah i guess that is my yeah uh, my how my predisposition is to stay active now when we're talking about groucho uh zenzani.com for Mm -hmm. teatro zenzani but also october uh 26th we can we can catch groucho in town yeah yes on my day off on tuesday october 26th (laughs) i am doing uh my an evening with groucho Working and on like, your yeah, day off. There you go. I love it. That's that's right. Who doesn't want? I love that idea. I always loved working on my birthday and holidays. I always felt like I'm more alive for it because you know, it's so hard to get work as right. it is. So it always felt good to be able to celebrate with employment. So yeah, I will be doing. It's a this. That's a two act comedy that I've been doing, you know, since my college years, and uh, my pianist is flying out from Los Angeles. His name is Gerald Sternbach, and he played for Mel Brooks in the HBO London's one-man show. Mm. And he, he played for Carrie Fisher and Wishful Drinking, her one-woman show. Um, so he's my pianist. He's played for most of the great Broadway stars and cabaret stars. And so he's a great asset to this piece. You know, there's a lot of funny, you know, it's music and storytelling and improvisation uh, and one-liners. Um, but it, it starts out with me as Frank, Mike, and then I morph into Groucho and then, you know, or, or off to the races, so to speak. Yeah, right. And, and uh, it's it, and it's in the round because it's a tent, uh, so it takes place within this nine foot diameter in the center, and there are tables and chairs around it in this beautiful setting that you've seen online there, and uh, it it works uh, because I have such access, of course, to the audience. I'm just inches away uh, when when you're in the round. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's noted at, at zinzani.com. You can find that particular performance as well. Yeah, tickets and, for it, and that's a lot. You know, that's that's doable for young people too. If again, if you're or anyone who wants to, uh, you know, introduce themselves to the character or the solo form, mm. this, you know, it's it's a fun show. It's been uh, like I said, a long time in, in the makes. Well, this is going to be one of those interviews that I listen to over and over because uh, your wealth of information and a real inspiration of all you've done and all you continue to do. I want to uh, lead people to Zinzani.com, Z-I-N-Z-A-N-N-I.com. Get your tickets. Go see this. You deserve, after like we were saying, you, we all deserve an evening of wonderfulness, and uh, this definitely looks like it. Uh, hey, Mike, thank you. And great to speak to a colleague and uh, someone who gets it and, and loves it like I do. So I appreciate your time. Frank, and maybe I get to see you one while I'm out here. I, you know what? If you're here till the end of the year, I will definitely uh, swing downtown. I live out in a farm now. I grew up in Chicago, but uh, the older I get, the farther and farther away I get from civilization. So I it's kind just of understand that it's I me and the it. chickens. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, my wife and I were talking about this. We were watching the uh, the, the 
Teatro Zanzani stuff online, and she said that looks like a beautiful evening out. So it could be date night. So we'll. I'd love it. Come schlep our way, please. All right, Frank. It's a pleasure <laughs> and continued success, my friend. You too. Thank you, Mike. The Mike Tamano Happening.